Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm today's host George Smith and I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by my colleague Stephen Railston this Monday lunchtime. Stephen, it's been a while since me and you did one of these. How are things? It's been a little bit of time, hasn't it, George? Uh, really good myself, as listeners would have heard. I've just been on a holiday, but back in the rhythm of things now and watching the Wimbledon final yesterday. We're recording on a Monday, obviously it was Sunday yesterday. I don't know if you watched it, George, but it was fantastic, fantastic game. Uh, Djokovic and I mean to be fair Djokovic gets a lot of hate doesn't he people aren't really big fans of him but I quite like him that's controversial I quite like Djokovic and it was a shame to see him go down but what a performance it was Mark Carras uh, he's got a big big future ahead of him I'm not a tennis fanatic but you had to just enjoy that yesterday it was, it was really good yeah, it was a cracking contest and a great way to end what had, what had been a decent fortnight, to be fair. Really good ending, cracking game and one that I'm sure many people will remember. But away from uh, Wimbledon and back to the football and Manchester United, there is, of course, only one place to start this uh, this lunchtime. And that is, of course, with the decision of Eric Ten Hag to strip Harry Maguire of the club captaincy. Maguire issued a statement on his social media page on Sunday afternoon confirming that he'd held talks with the manager and he had uh, had the armband stripped away from him. Stephen, first of all, obviously this was the headline news over the weekend. It was one that we all felt was inevitable after the way last season went for Harry Maguire. And I think overall it's the correct decision for both the club and Maguire, isn't it? Yeah, completely. I mean, Tenar came in and his first press conference was in Bangkok when they did the pre-season tour last year and two names dominated that press conference. Cristiano Ronaldo and Harry Maguire. Obviously, Ronaldo's future was up for... I mean, his uncertainty at that point, he didn't travel on the tour. And then the second questions and the third questions were about Maguire and would he remain captain? Obviously, Tenal backed him, uh, continued as club captain, but he was really just all, all but name, wasn't he? I mean, Fernandez was the real captain last season. He was the de facto leader. He had the real power in the dressing room. Um, Maguire made just eight league starts. And when you look at it, he slipped down that pecking order. Obviously, Victor Lindelof was ahead of him for most of the season. Interestingly enough, obviously, Maguire kind of clawed back after the World Cup because... Varane Martinez obviously the first choice centre-halves Lindelof was third Maguire was fourth in the pecking order but after the World Cup that changed and Maguire started to play a little bit more Lindelof regressed and he was kind of fourth pick but towards the business end of the season obviously Maguire had that game against Nottingham Forest he was guilty he played his role in the, the severe defeat uh, along with David De Gea obviously uh, in that game out in Spain and he didn't really return to the team after that and, and that wasn't a surprise Um the wheels fell off for Maguire last season. He had a fantastic, a pretty decent two first first two years at the club. Obviously, eighty million pounds he was signed for in twenty nineteen. He was the most expensive defender of the world. Uh, obviously, at that point, which was a price tag was always going to follow him around, wasn't it? And he was never going to be able to live up to it because he was never worth eighty million pounds. But yeah, it was last season really that was it was felt like the beginning of the end. It felt really hard to come back from that. And he obviously fell down the pecking order, and rightly so. Um, and as you've said, it was the right decision to strip him of the captaincy this summer. It did always feel inevitable, really, that it would happen. Um, and now I guess we're looking towards who's going to succeed him as captain, and Fernandez is the most logical choice. He, like I say, he was a de facto captain. Obviously, there's been questions about his petulance and the way he behaves with referees. You think back to Anfield, George, and it was 7-0, and he had the incident where people thought he was asking to be subbed off. Obviously, he didn't actually say that. That's just the way it came across on television. But he seems the most sensible option to succeed Maguire as captain. And I think it's inevitable, really, that Fernandes will be named as, as the next official captain. Yeah, you'd certainly think so. It seems like the logical choice and a sensible one for Eric Ten Hag to make. Obviously, there's, there's talk of maybe Rafael Varane could take it, maybe even Casemiro, but the language barrier might be a problem there. So Fernandez does seem like the most logical candidate to take that role. But obviously, for Harry Maguire now, 
He's obviously lost the captaincy. He, he lost his place in Ten Hag's first choice eleven a long time ago. Like you said, he ended the season behind Victor Lindelof. This maybe even argument that Luke Shaw could be ahead of him in the pecking order for a centre half spot now. It feels like the writing's on the wall for him now, and he really has got to try and find a way out of Old Trafford this summer. But as our colleague Samuel wrote last week, United have slapped a fifty million valuation on him. Not many clubs you'd imagine are going to be forthcoming to pay that after the last you know twelve eighteen months that he's had. Rumours that West Ham want him on loan. David Moyes not drawn on it when he spoke to the media last night. But it does feel like the time for him to go. I mean, he, he played only half of United's 62 games last season, eight Premier League starts. He, he's got to get out of here, not only to save his club career, but also for the warnings he's had from Gareth Southgate to get into the England squad with the Euros next summer as well. Yeah, and when you, when you look at Luke Shaw kind of surpassing him there and that pecking order, as you just mentioned, when a left-back, a natural left-back, is playing ahead of you in your position, it's it's a warning sign, isn't it? It's a clear message that you need to leave the club. Um, I mean, I was kind of, I got the impression towards the end of the season that he'd, he'd want to stay. The way he was talking about it um, in public, I thought, mm, do you know what, he might just kind of stay where he is and kind of fight for the position, knowing that he's not going to play, but that he's, he's not going to get those wages elsewhere. Uh, if he was to leave and as well the transfer fee who's going to stump up that kind of money for Harry Maguire at the moment um, but yeah the England thing that's it's a huge huge factor isn't it really Harry, Harry Maguire loves playing for England we know that he's been fantastic for England to be fair to him and he really works well in that system uh, Gareth Southgate's system he's performed it every single tournament but at the moment there's, there's youngsters coming through you've got uh, Levi Caldwell obviously Chelsea centre-half who was on loan at Brighton he's looking really good and he's going to put pressure on Maguire See the tournament's coming up in 2024, so he needs regular football this season. He's simply not going to get that at United. So I think now this then this captaincy thing's happened, I think that's going to push him, definitely. Uh, just push him over the edge. And I think he's going to have to tell his agent and, and look for a move because it's the, the best outcome for all parties. We've saw it coming for ages and now it really feels like the right time for him to move on, doesn't it? It certainly does. You know, as, as we've said a few minutes ago there, he, he fell down the pecking order. Lindelof leapfrogged him. Luke Shaw could do the same. There's no way he's going to get past Verano Martinez into that first choice starting eleven. So it would make sense for all parties, you know, to, to cut ties. But obviously the valuation United won, as I said a minute or so ago, not many clubs are going to be forthcoming with. The thing is, he's, he's probably worth, like, he is definitely worth around, sorry, George, 30 million. I mean, for all the criticism Maguire's got and rightly so because the last two seasons he's, he's just not been good enough he's, he's too slow he's, he's you know he's been standing out in that defence to need to be replaced and that's why Martinez was brought in but let's he still is a good player like you know what I mean and fans I think they're starting to even say that on, on Twitter public opinion starting to shift where look he's had his criticism but fans are suggesting look in the right system or recognising sorry in the right system with the right personnel alongside him he can be a great player and I think a top 8 Premier League club uh, you could see his form for England maybe Aston Villa obviously West Ham he'd probably really suit a side like that and in a back 5 I know ironically neither of those sides play in a back 5 but he could be really good couldn't he um, and he's still got a lot of give he's only 30 years old so he's you know, his prime years really yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's the thing at the end of the day, you don't play for England if you're a bad player and certainly you're not, you know, a key player if you're a bad player. So you exactly. certainly got a lot more yeah. to give, as you say there. But obviously the overriding factor of what Eric Ten Hag has done with Harry Maguire, removing the armband from him, it's another big decision that, you know, the manager's had to make. And you've done a good piece on this, Stephen, this morning that you've, you know, uploaded to the site earlier on about all the, you know, the big decisions he's made that previous managers wouldn't have done. You know, he handled the Cristiano Ronaldo saga superbly. He dropped Marcus Rashford for the game at Wolves on New Year's Eve when he turned up late for a team meeting. 
admitted there was a little bit of dawdling with the David De Gea situation, but he made the decision in the end. And now this, this is the sign of a manager who's got the authority to lead this team, lead this club. And as you said in your piece, it's something that's been lacking for a very long time at Manchester United. Well, when you look at his predecessor, obviously Solskjaer, and the way he handled certain situations, you look at Dean Henderson and David De Gea, the predicament they had, um, he didn't handle that very well. And kind of player power just festered really in the Solskjaer. And that was one of the factors for his downfall in the end. That's why he had to leave the club and why, I mean, uh, the season before last, it just got so dreadful, didn't it? And why the worst season happened in, in decades, that was a huge reason for it. Tenog's come in, as I've said this many times, I personally had my doubts um, whether he could, he, whether he had the personality, whether he could command the authority at a club like Manchester United, the biggest club in England, coming from the Dutch first year, you looked at his CV, the clubs that he'd managed. But I mean, those doubts were quickly gone within the first few weeks. You got the impression that he really stamped his authority on that team. The players were responding to his discipline and training, and he's really got the best out of the team in that manner. And you've just walked through the season. He's had challenging, challenging dilemmas this season to tackle. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo had to deal with him and him throwing his, his toys out of the pram. Um, that might have undone, that might have caused problems that he couldn't have come back from, but he dealt with him really, really well. Um, I remember thinking when Ronaldo was chatting to Piers Morgan, Tenog didn't say a word. Didn't say a word in the media and he, he was the winner from all that, wasn't he? Really came out looking the best and Ronaldo looked really stupid in the end. Um, and, and look, he's playing in Saudi Arabia now, so that says it all about his ability and the correct decision to take him out of the team. You've touched about Rashford, obviously the, the, the day on Wolves and he handled that really well. Rashford was late to the meeting, dropped them, no problems. Rashford agreed it was the right decision, came on, didn't he? And he scored the winning goal at Molyneux. So yeah, you look at all these big, big decisions that Ten Hag makes and he's got every single one right. David De Gea. The thing is, David De Gea, he could have been offered a new contract, couldn't he? But Ten Hag did settle on the right way to handle it in the end. He became increasingly indefensible at the, the business end of last season. Too many mistakes. Didn't align with his vision. He had to go. Finally, he's gone. So you've got Ronaldo gone. You've got David De Gea, who's obviously departed too. Genuine legends of the club. And Ten, Hag, Ten Hag's not been afraid to tackle their, their situations. And now Maguire, obviously getting stripped of the captaincy. It could be argued that he should have done it last summer, but I think it was the right decision, really because it would have caused uh, like politically I think it was the right decision to, to keep with him stick with him see how the season developed and it's clear that obviously Maguire is down the pecking order so now was the time to, to relieve him of his duties really and I think he's handled it really well Yeah he has he's done a superb job you know both on and off the pitch he's given United an identity with their style of play again as you said he's made all those really tough decisions and you know, twelve months ago, we were sat here in the you know in the middle of the preseason tour. Obviously, the season kicked off a little bit earlier. We were all kind of guessing what's he going to bring, what's he going to do. But twelve months on, he's established himself as the elite level coach that Manchester United wanted. It feels like two years. <laughs> Doesn't feel like twelve months. God, we were talking about Ronaldo. That was December, end of November time. It's been a long, long season, George. Um, but no, exactly. He's had a fantastic first twelve months at the club, and he's really asserted himself. And with, with every month that's gone on, he's got more powerful. And now the players know where the power lies. They know who the boss is. They know if they don't fall in line, they're going to be moved on. And and that's key. That's the message that has to be sent. Really, the the dressing room needs to know. Um, and that can only board well going into the new season and for the new signings coming in as well. Yeah, definitely. That's the thing. You know, if he's prepared to take Cristiano Ronaldo on and discipline him, he's going to do it with anybody. You know, if you once you've handled him, you can handle anybody in this sport. So, yeah, fully agree with everything you've said there. It really does show that the uh, the player power era is over at Old Trafford. 
But uh, that concludes part one of this Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back in part two in a moment's time to uh, have a little chat about what happened at Carrington over the weekend and look ahead to the clash with Leon this week in Scotland. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. As I said a moment or so ago, um, United welcomed their international contingent back to Carrington on Saturday morning, signalling the, the next phase of pre-season training, if you like. Uh, the big name stars were back, Christian Eriksen, Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, the list goes on. Um, it kind of feels now, Stephen, that United are getting closer towards that big kickoff. It's four weeks today, United's opening game against Wolves. Obviously, a lot of hard work to be done between now and then. But this really feels like that the big starting point of this pre-season campaign now the big boys are back the big boys indeed George I mean I was hoping for a nice quiet shift on Saturday morning and I've completely forgot I should have known Tenog did say that the players would return and report for pre-season at Carrington obviously the remaining players who took part in those international fixtures in mid-June so as you said Rashford Casemiro Eriksen etc all the big names coming back the big boys um, obviously just doing routine tests on Saturday didn't really do much ball work obviously just light ball work getting back into the rhythm of things again um, obviously there was a big story as well of Johnny Evans was spotted by our photographer coming in I was told obviously inquired about it straight away and that he was now obviously training with the club he's been released by Leicester um, he's not looking obviously not looking to sign him but uh, fitness wise he's training with United at the moment came through the academy Johnny Evans almost made close to 200 appearances I think um, with multiple major trophies at the club so nice to see an old face back at Carrington and it's obviously nice to see the club welcoming back uh, especially academy graduates it's nice to have that kind of philosophy isn't it where if players are out of contract and they are looking for a new club the doors are always going to be open at Carrington and, and Johnny Evans is a senior professional he's, he's seen it all in the game he's 35 years old so his presence around the training ground can only be a good thing for the young lads and he's been training with the academy as well uh, alongside the, the main group yeah definitely it's certainly always nice to see and like you said there he made 200 appearances almost for the club bit of a cult hero during his time there and it's good you know for a club a, you know an academy graduate to keep those ties and keep things together and I noticed through the training picks that the pictures that I saw over the weekend there was a lot of smiling faces I noticed among the group it seemed like a really you know happy United camp and that's another thing that I think Eric Ten Hag has done over the last 12 months he's rebuilt that team spirit there's a bond and a togetherness amongst the squad isn't there that's been massive I mean it literally was we always hop back to obviously the season before last um, where it was kind of it was almost toxic and fans felt so disconnected from the team he's come in and, and that discipline has been key to kind of regaining that good feeling and the players now really look forward to going into training there was definitely players dreading it um, and the Solskjaer towards the end of his reign and under Ranić, obviously and towards the end of that campaign because it just got so so miserable and, and like I say quite toxic at the end but no you're right smiles are back on faces that was a cliche used when Solskjaer was in charge he's putting smiles back on faces but Tenog generally has put smiles back on faces and you're right George uh, the players looked in good spirits obviously on Saturday afternoon a lot of youngsters taking part in training you've obviously just mentioned uh, Leon which is the fixture coming up at Murrayfield in Edinburgh on Wednesday and a lot of young 
youngsters will feature in that game again. I think the players who have just returned, so let's say Casemiro or Rashford, they're actually unlikely to play on Wednesday against Leon because they've only just came back to Carrington, obviously. So I think supporters can expect a, a very similar team to the one we saw against Leeds in Oslo. So a few senior heads to begin with, Mason Mount, for example, Jaden Sancho, Aramon Bissaka, Varane and Martinez again with a blend of youngsters, obviously. Um, I think it was around 10 youngsters I, I counted actually in the training photos in the end. And a, a shout out to, to James Nolan as well, whose supporters might not be familiar with. He's 17 years old. Uh, he turns 18 in October and he was training with the first team on Saturday. He, he features quite heavily for the under 18. So it was great to see him involved and obviously quite significant for a 17-year-old really to be training with the first team, which is great to see. And that's something Ten Hag's discussed. Uh, he discussed it after the Oslo game where the club will always want to try to promote youngsters and Ten Hag gets that. He's from Ajax who have a fantastic record of bringing you through from their academy. So it's uh, it's really great to see that as well. Yeah, definitely. You see, it obviously, within the United DNA to promote from within and bring these youngsters up through the up through the ranks as they progress. And like you said, there for someone like James Nolan, you know, for the experience of getting to train, even if it's just a one-off with the likes of Marcus Rashford, Casemiro, Christian Eriksen, you know, that the confidence and the the harmony they must take from that. What what an opportunity, and you know, for them potentially to maybe get some minutes on Wednesday at Murrayfield in that game as well. You know, it shows that Eric Ten Hag is, is willing to give everybody a chance in pre-season. He definitely is. He de- a funny little story, actually. Um, Corby Manu, who's I think he's going to be the breakout star really, of this pre-season. I think supporters are starting to realise uh, how much talent he's got. I was talking to a coach who works with Manu um, and he described his first training session when he trained with the first team, which is, I think, last season now, so quite a long time ago. But um, he, he, he came back and the coach said to him, Corby, like, how was it? How did you do? And Kobe Main, who's obviously he's, he's a very grounded lad, he's, he keeps his head on his shoulders and he kind of ah, I did okay, I did all right. That coach then spoke to two senior players and they were like, no, he did really well. He really held his own. So that just shows you the, the kind of personality of Kobe Manu anyways. He's never going to big himself up. He's quite a humble lad. Um, but on, obviously the youngsters, he's one of the main ones, isn't he? Who we're really excited to see more of on this this tour. United are flying to America after that trip to Edinburgh on Wednesday. So they've got a game against Arsenal on Saturday afternoon. Um, and Hannibal and, and Kobe Manu were the ones that kind of really st- stood out against Leeds. So hoping to see more of them. Um, I think long term, I think Kobe Manu would probably develop into a number eight. He's played in different positions for the under-21s when I've been along to the games. And that's always going to be part of the plan for coaches because they like to play them in different roles to really test them and really challenge them for the under-21s and, and kind of accelerate the, the development. You've got to keep giving these players problems so they're not too comfortable. But I think long term, he'll be a number eight. And I think that's kind of the position he played against Leeds as well, alongside Mason Mountain and Hannibal uh, in Oslo, obviously, it was last week. Yeah, he was certainly effective in that game against Leeds. He was very, very good in that first half. I thought I thought arguably him and probably Mount and Ahmad were probably the standout three in that opening 45 minutes main who really bossed in the game. But speaking of youngsters, well, he is still a youngster, even though we do class him now as a first-team regular, <laughs> Alejandro Garnacho. It's easy to forget he's only 19 with the hype that surrounds him. You, you can't miss him, George, with that, that, that blonde hair now. He stands out like a sore thumb, doesn't he? He does. I mean, to be fair, a lot, of them, a lot of them have got the blonde tips, so maybe not, actually. You can't miss him with that uh, that trim, but um, Gonacho over the weekend there was a, there was a little bit of you know a momentum on social media, a bit of a conversation about his kit number because people picked up on the fact that he'd not got a number on his on his training top. But when some more pictures dropped later, there was still the number forty nine on his shorts. Obviously, he's missed out on the number seven shirt that's been awarded to uh, Mason Mount. But obviously, they still talk that he could get an upgraded number. Talk maybe of possibly the number 11 shirt, depending on what happens with Mason Greenwood. 
Does it, does it really matter that much, Stephen, what number he's got on his back? Because obviously there was a lot of hype about him getting the number seven shirt. He's got to get it. It, it suits him down to the ground. But realistically, you know, him not getting that number seven shirt probably eases the pressure on his shoulders for now. You can't get away with anything these days. I mean, supporters are so eagle-eyed. The second a supporter drops on so a support a, a photo drops on social media, fans are so quick on it. It's quite impressive, to be fair. It's quite a skill. I mean, it's our job to kind of analyse those things as well and spot those things. So maybe we're just getting outdone. But you're right, George. So obviously, he didn't have a number on his kit. Obviously, Ganacho was forty-nine. Um, but he's, he's got such an increased role in the squad now, really. He's a, kind of the second in line on the left wing behind Marcus Rashford. He took over Jadon Sancho last season. So he is probably going to get a number, or we know he's going to get a number to kind of reflect that importance or the increased importance that he's got. Which number that'll be? <laughs> the jury remains out. We'll have to see, as you said, number seven's been taken by Mason Mount. You think of the world-class number sevens the club's had over the years, Cantona, Beckham, Ronaldo... Um, I think it's probably a blessing in disguise you're right George that uh, Ganacho didn't get that number 7 because let's not forget he is just a very young lad um, it is a lot of pressure to wear that shirt however I will say he could probably handle it he's a very very confident young lad um, he believes in his own ability and I think that's quite endearing actually um, I think in this country we're kind of conditioned to not 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 like these kind of borderline arrogant players or really confident players because the Americans love them don't they love kind of these uh, big personalities and uh, us Brits were kind of conditioned to to like more of someone who's a bit more humble but uh, if Ganacho was given that number seven I think he would have been fine with it but yeah we'll have to see what number he's going to be given you've just said number 11 possibly but Mason Greenwood still has that number so uh, we need to see what happens to that situation if possibly a few more pieces on the chessboard need to be moved around before Ganacho's given a new number yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, part of the possibly part of the reason why he didn't get the number seven shirt is obviously Marcus Rashford's ahead of him in the pecking order for that place on the left wing. And it's going to be impossible to dislodge him after the season he had last year. Ganacho, I had a look at his numbers actually the other day. It was, I think it was one day towards the back end of last week and 10 direct goal contributions at the end of this season with very healthy numbers for a 19 year old. But only two of those 10 contributions came as a starter, which suggests he is more effective at the minute as an impact player off the bench late on in games. So that's probably another reason why Eric Ten Hag has not, you know, given him that number seven shirt, doesn't quite consider him as the starter, the starter yet. But there is going to come a point, probably maybe a year, two years down the line, where he is going to want to start every week. But obviously Marcus Rashford at the minute, he's got that left wing position tied to his name. We could, we could definitely see Rashford playing up front again I mean that's that's quite possible yeah. he played yeah he played in that position obviously quite often last season and when you look at the strikers who are available uh, obviously signing a striker was their priority heading into the summer window but at the moment it's Anthony Martial and he can certainly not be relied on to be fifth he's obviously made he's, he's, has he made a Peter Marshall George at this point I think he probably is it's he certainly probably an argument I think Martial. we could discuss yeah so so I mean if Rashford plays up front then that does open it up and I think if Ganacho is really really if he hits the ground running at the start of the new season and he's starting to really impact games a bit more across 90 minutes because let's face as you've said that's the thing that he, he probably needs to improve on when he started games He's, he's not been as effective really and he kind of loses that impact and he's a genuine game changer off the bench and I guess that's what he's got to prove um, that he's not just a game changer that he can do it from the start um, but let's not forget as well like Ganacho was supposed to be in terms of usual progress he would have been part of the under 21s last season 
and he's obviously surprised coaches at the, the rate of his progress. He's, he's took to it like a water to sorry, a duck to water. I was going to say a water to duck there, but that wouldn't have made uh, much sense. And he's been he's been generally really impressive. And what I love about him, he's just so exciting. When he gets the ball, he's he's fearless, and he's almost got that kind of the naivety of youth, I guess, where he is so confident. He's not being burdened down yet by anything and he gets the ball and he just looks to attack fullbacks. He looks to take them on and he's got that ability and he gets fans on the edge of their seats straight away. Um, and you compare him to Jaden Sancho, who we've discussed at length on these podcasts. Sancho is so frustrating, I think, when he gets the ball because he wants to play inside. He wants to cut back and, and kind of make a, make one-twos or make a pass or have a shot. Ganacho drives to the byline, doesn't he? He looks to get across and he looks to find a striker. And that's what makes him a, generally unique on that side. Um, and I, I just love watching him I think he's so exciting he's, he's got a massive future ahead of him regardless of uh, which number he takes yeah and, and the signs of that were there weren't they in, the, in that run to the FA Youth Cup final last year they, you know he was, the, he was the poster boy of that journey to the final and winning the trophy but You've raised a good point there with Jaden Sancho. Ganacho did far more last season, you know, to get bums off seats and excite the crowd than Jaden Sancho did. And, you know, Marcus Rashford, he he's the top of the pecking order for that left wing spot. Sancho, though originally signed to play on the right, has produced his best football on the left. But Ganacho now how arguably ahead of him in the, the pecking order for that left wing spot which potentially means Sancho could be rivaling Anthony for a place on the right. But then, of course, we've got Ahmad to, you know, enter that conversation. Facundo Palestri still, you know, still here as well for now. So realistically, Garnacho, he's, he's moved uh, moved ahead of a lot of senior figures in this pecking order for a place out wide, hasn't he, already? Which, like you said, for a player that realistically should only be playing in the under-21s at the minute. He deserves immense credit for that. But also, I mean, just, I'm scratching my head. I'm banging my head against the wall with Jadon Sancho. Um, this will obviously be his third season at the club when he when he was signed from Dortmund it was 70, 72.8 million was the exact figure the transfer fee and I've wrote this quite a bit I generally think that was a bargain at the time he looked I think Manchester City signed Jack Grealish for 100 million um, both of them had quite indifferent first seasons it's fair to say and Sancho was obviously going to get the benefit of the doubt in that first year because as I said with Maguire the wheels fell off for everyone really David De Gea and Ronaldo ironically because they've both left were the only two players to, to emerge with credit from that season so look Ternal came in and he looked really good last, last pre-season they went on that tour obviously of, of Thailand and Australia he looked like he had a point to prove he looked hungry um, there was that spell they opened up the season didn't have defeats against Brighton and Brentford but then four consecutive wins followed Arsenal Liverpool Leicester and Southampton uh, Sancho scored against Liverpool and he got the ball in the box did that little swivel it was a fantastic goal and then he scored the only goal against Leicester at the King Power Stadium as well 1-0 and he just looked so happy after he scored that I just remember seeing the smile on his face thinking this is going to be the moment he's going to kick on this is going to be we're finally going to see the Sancho from Dortmund but he obviously had those issues uh, during the season halfway through he did make the England squad uh, for the World Cup and when he finally returned in, in February against Nottingham Forest I mean it was it was quite emotional I think for, for some people connected with him when he returned that night it was clearly a big moment for him and fans sung his name in every corner of Old Trafford there in, in, that, in that game and he applauded all corners of Old Trafford as he left um, and it, like again, like I say, it felt like the moment, right? Come on, Sancho, kick on from here. Let us see what you you made of kind of thing. But he kind of regressed again. And you've just talked about which position he's best in. Is he best on the left? Is he best on the right? He's been tried down the middle. He's not going to play down the middle. He's not a creative midfielder centrally. Just doesn't work there, in my opinion. Um, and on the right, he's, he's not as effective. He's definitely best on the left, really, essentially. And you've got Rashford and Ganacho on that side. So. 
the logical thing is to play him on the right. Um, but it's just, it's just, it's a bit of a mess. It's becoming a bit of an enigma, really. And if he doesn't kick on now, if he doesn't really deliver this season, it's going to have to be his last at the club, I think, because he's had so many chances now. There's, there's no real excuses anymore left for Sancho, and it's, it's really time for him to show why he can succeed at Manchester United, or his days will be numbered. Yeah, definitely. I fully agree with that. You know, it does feel like you know, third chance. Is it going to be third time lucky for him? That's what it feels like. Let's, let's hope so. Let's hope so because yeah, I mean, when he played for Dortmund, George, he was fantastic, wasn't he? He really was, and he, he looked was, so yeah. exciting. He Super was generally great. one of the most exciting talents in Europe at that point, and he's just regressed. He's just not looked capable of, of playing for the club, um, and unfortunately, that is the reality. Some some players just aren't cut out to play for the club, and, and hopefully, that doesn't apply for Sancho. But I guess we'll we'll know more in twelve months. We will, and you know, furthermore on him, it's it was almost as though it was impossible to you know not imagine that he wouldn't have gone to the World Cup last last year. It was, you know, ideal age for him to go there and show the world what he was capable of after what he'd done at Dortmund, and obviously going back to Germany next year for the Euros, it would have been another opportunity. But it just feels like he's so far away from that squad right now, and he's got a lot of work to do, and it could be you know his last chance this uh, this forthcoming season at Old Trafford. So we'll see how that one plays out for Jaden Sancho. But that does conclude part two of this Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back in part three in a moment. So time to have a little look at the transfer front with the latest on Andre Onana and look ahead to the upcoming pre-season tour and trip to Murrayfield on Wednesday. Welcome back to part three of this Manchester is Red podcast. As I said a few moments ago, United off up to Murrayfield on Wednesday to take on French side Lyon in what will be their second pre-season friendly. As Stephen mentioned earlier on, the squad's likely to be made up of the same group of players that travelled to Oslo to face Leeds United last week. Uh, Stephen, I believe you're making the trip up to Scotland for this one. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a bit of a different test for United compared to the Leeds game, isn't it? Well, my mum's actually from uh, Glasgow, George, so going to her homeland, making the trip north of the border up to Scotland. I was actually in Edinburgh just a few weeks ago for a Bruce Springsteen concert. I had to miss out on the media game because of that engagement, but it was worth it. Bruce Springsteen was fantastic, as you can imagine. And I'm going to try get a Bruce Springsteen-related reference and match report. Um, Glory Days is, is shouting out to us at the moment because you can definitely work that in but no it, it, it should be a, a decent little game there'll be a big crowd as always United have got a big following wherever they go it was a sellout in Oslo but I've noticed there's actually still tickets available uh, for Wednesday's game at Murrayfield so if you are fancying a, a, a late trip to Scotland check them out and, and get yourself across but no as we've said probably the, the same kind of team the same approach taken by Tenog for the game um, it will be a blend of youth and experience as I've said and we will see wholesale changes at the break obviously made 11 changes at half time against Leeds and you replaced the, the full starting lineup. even Tom Heaton got replaced by Kovar so I'm expecting more of the same just another run around I mean these games are for fitness really that's the thing um, ahead of the new season there is sometimes not much you can take from them um, but I've mentioned Copy Mania really excited to see him in the flesh again um, it's been a while because he was injured towards the back end of last season he missed out on a, a few of the under 21 games so um, it should be really, really good to see him. Obviously, Hannibal Ahmed, we've, we've mentioned the, the main protagonist, really. Alvaro Fernandez as well, left back. So he, he's probably going to start as well. So um, the fly to America, I think I think they might fly on the same day, actually, on the, on the first day. So they've got the game in the States, um, New Jersey against Arsenal on Saturday. So really just the young stars will be featuring on Wednesday. And then we should see a proper team. I say a proper in quotation marks um, against Arsenal on the, this weekend on Saturday. 
I suppose the, the the only difference that there might be if Eric Ten Hag chooses to, of course, nothing. You know, you can't really predict much in pre-season, but on Wednesday at, at Murrayfield is maybe. Obviously, in the first half against Leeds, it had a much more senior look to it, whereas in the second half, it literally was the kids and, and the kids only. Maybe you might just mix it up a little bit more and maybe chuck a few of those youngsters, such as Joe Hugel, uh, Noah Memoran, who both scored last week. They might bag a start, maybe play alongside the likes of Mount and Varane for a little while. I suppose that's really the only differences that we might see in this squad, given that Ten Hag said last week that he doesn't expect any of his international contingent to play in this game. Uh, I see George you, you, you're making a mistake there Tanag's a creature of habit he loves to do the he loves to repeat his lineups. He, he's consistent with his team selection that is very true so yeah I definitely expect I think to be honest the same team I'd, I'd imagine um, with as you said Joe Hugel he's worth talking about to be fair um, in the 21s last season they obviously they started very slow they had a, a bit of an underwhelming season but coaches were still happy with it because of the, the way individually the players developed and that's obviously the main target to get them to the first team but when I was going to games George I was banging my head against the wall just like when I watched Sancho because they, they couldn't score right? they were making all these good chances they were doing well in the final third but they couldn't find the net um, Charlie McNeil was starting the majority of games at that point Joe Hugel was actually injured he was sidelined um, but then when he came back from injury in late October Hugel um, he started the majority of games and he scored 10 goals in 11 league starts which was a really fantastic return he made a big big difference um, McNeil left the club in January on loan he joined Newport and he's not been involved if anyone's noticed why McNeil's not been involved it's because he's planning well the club are planning to send him out on loan again so it was pointless really involving him in pre-season because he will be going out on loan possibly to, to a league one club um, but yeah Hugel an exciting one to, to look out for I guess because um, I'm not trying to say he's going to be the next Harry Kane or he's going to be fast track for the first team but he does know where the net is uh, at under 21 level anyways and it was great to see him find the net against Leeds Yeah I think a few of us actually thought he might have started that game on, on Wednesday in that front three with obviously Anthony Martial missing out on the on the squad that went to Oslo so maybe he will get a chance on the start uh, against Leon. we shall see but beyond that, as you mentioned, Stephen, they will be flying off to the States for the, the official pre-season tour when pre-season really does start to kick in. And obviously there's there's only one man that everybody's talking about in that sense at the minute, and that is Andre Onana. Will he go on this tour? Probably going to be too late for United to get everything done in time for him to go with the rest of the squad on, I think, on Wednesday evening or Thursday morning. I think it's around that period when they will all fly off. But there's certainly a chance that he will meet up with them out there and play in some of these games that they've got coming up. You know, we, we've reported over the weekend that the deal is edging closer and closer and it feels like it's just literally a case of getting the medical done now and, and you know, crossing those final T's and dotting the I's. Once it's done, though, it's a significant upgrade, I think, on David De Gea. Obviously brings a complete different style to the team and it's one of those signings where United really do need to get this tied up sooner rather than later because of the shift in style he's going to bring that everybody's going to have to adjust to. Inching closer, inching closer to uh, Andre Hanara coming in. A uh, fantastic signing he'll be, and as you've said, completely different styles from David De Gea, who at times, uh, I think a toddler could have kicked better than De Gea in some games. There's a clip against Real Bet, as we mentioned on the podcast on Friday, um, a kicking disaster class it was, uh, in those two minutes from David De Gea. But Anana, in comparison, he's fantastic with his feet, he's so comfortable on the ball whenever he's pressed he doesn't really flinch um, and I says on, as I said on Friday on the podcast he's really good at just fulling the ball into midfield playing those kind of killer passes and let's face it those passes are a bit riskier and risk you know with more risk does come more reward and I think there, there probably will be a time next season George where he might make a mistake he might you know a pass might be uh, intercepted and, but fans are just going to be patient it's part of the process 
Um, and he's really going to take United to that next level. I thought keeping De Gea at the club would have kept the, the rebuild back, really. Uh, it would have set a ceiling of, of the progress that could have been made. Um, but obviously De Gea has left, and Nana's the, the man who's been brought in. He's worked with Tenog before, which is a, a huge positive. Tenog is massive on doing his due diligence with players and making sure they're the right personalities to come to the club. Um, but he knows all about Anana, so he must be the right man to come in in that regard, really. And we all questioned the, the kind of policy Singing players that he knew last season, didn't we? Last summer, um, but it's worked. Um, so I think you know it's, it's an important aspect that he, he knows Anana, he knows what he's going to bring to the training ground. He's going to be a positive influence, and he knows all about his quality, which ultimately is what he's being sang for. Um, and it, yeah, it'll be great to see him link up with the, the squad. Obviously, in America, it was really important to have a goalkeeper for the tour I think it would look quite uh, amateur and, and quite embarrassing really to, to go on that tour without a, a number one goalkeeper so really positive on that front and hopefully now we get a striker in because as I said the striker was the priority but we've, we've had Mason Mount we're expecting Andrea Nana this week so let's get a striker in because that team desperately needs a goal scorer it certainly does. I mean, Rasmus Hosland has obviously been identified as the primary target now. Obviously, the, the ship has seemingly sailed with Harry Kane. That's going to be a non-starter. But Hosland, you know, it's another one of these, as, as I've done a piece this morning, which kind of resembles a bit of a gamble because of his age. He, you know, he's, he's only 20 years of age, doesn't turn 21 until next February. But I think Eric Ten Hag, based on what he did last last season with the signs he made, such as Lissandra Martinez, Christian Eriksen, obviously on a free transfer, Tyrell Malassia as well to an extent, you know, he's earned the right to take these gambles because more often than not, he has nailed the recruitment in the last 12 months. He certainly has. He certainly has. I mean, um, I'd argue the jury remains out on Anthony, um, but yeah, with the exception definitely. of Anthony. Seen flashes. Yeah, definitely flashes. That's the thing. He's not sustaining it, is he? Similar with Sancho, we've talked about. And he kind of has the same problems where he cuts inside all the time. That's obviously his preference. To be fair, when he does hit one with that left foot and they do stay hit, and uh, they're often nestling to the top corner. He certainly can hit them from distance, but yeah, he needs to improve again next season, Anthony, I think. But you're right, George. Uh, Ten Hag's earned that trust. Um, he is, as a, goes back to being the most powerful man at the club, really. He's earned that and he is becoming the most powerful. He is, sorry, the most powerful man. Um, and he, he is kind of overseeing that transfer strategy. He's getting who he wants. With the striker situation, with Hodgeland, obviously, he feels attainable. Atalanta, uh, there's talk obviously of them demanding silly money, 70 million, but realistically, I think a deal between 40 to 50 million could be struck for him, which it probably still is overpaying for a man of his profile. He's 20 years old, he's not he's not been prolific for Atalanta uh, this season, oh, sorry, last season, let's face it. Um, but he obviously has clear potential. Um, the scouts like him, Tenog likes him, so that's a massive compliment, and I guess that's the main point. And then you look at the other options, who obviously we're all talking about Harry Kane and, and Victor Oshman at the start of the week window but that's the key thing they just seem unattainable Napoli's chairman's come out he said look no Oshman is staying Harry Kane we all know about Daniel Levy he's a B-Tech Bond villain isn't he he's never going to let Harry Kane go for cheap Bayern Munich are obviously in talks for him as well um, I mean Kane for me he'd be the perfect signing he really would he just I think he'd a player who would suit a Manchester United shirt, a ready-made striker, guarantee of goals. Um, I think he's got 32 last season, something ridiculous like that. And considering Tottenham were, were struggling so much, that is a really, really incredible achievement. I'd argue it's actually better than Haaland scoring his goals because Haaland's in a team, in a Manchester City team that are just absolutely brilliant, creates so many chances, but Kane was in a rubbish Tottenham Tottenham side and he still performed. So a shame really if if, if one of those can't be landed signed or, or landed because I think Kane and Oshman would be would be fantastic. But 
yep, if, if Hodgeland is the man, then it, that's a vote of confidence and obviously supporters have got trust in Ten Hag and let's hope he gets it right again. Yeah, definitely. And I think just lastly as well on, on Hodgeland, you know, it is a bit of a risk. It is a bit of a gamble. I think he only scored 10 goals last season. It's not exactly a record that, you know, set the world alight, but he's only 20 years of age. He's got a lot of potential. If And if it is a move that works out well and he does, you know, score a lot of goals, he's got the potential to fill that number nine spot for, for maybe up to a decade and beyond. And as well as that, if it pays off and he is the strike United sign, Eric Ten Hag effectively has rebuilt the spine of that team all the way through from Onana all the way to Hoslin with Martinez and Casemiro in there as well. So it does, you know, say Onana gets over the line to get Hosland, that could be the final piece in the jigsaw. It's still not enough though. That's the thing. And I mean realistically they could spend 150 million between those players. Um and at the moment that would be the, the, their budget kind of gone need to raise some money from some sales. So if I have Mount Onana and, and Hodgson coming in, yeah, it'd be a great start. But realistically, if you, if you want to kind of put more pressure at the top, at the top end of the table, really try to kick on, which is the, the the target because everyone around United are improving. Chelsea have obviously got a multi-million squad. Pochettino um, will will get more of a tune out with them next season, undoubtedly. Uh, Liverpool will improve. I'd say again, they've made a few good signings. Um, and obviously Arsenal, Declan Rice, what a great addition in, in Manchester City are still Manchester City. So the competition in the top six is going to be really tough really um, next season. So probably another, another defender, another striker is, is required after that. As I've said earlier on, it's kind of you moving the pieces around the chessboard. Could we see Harry Maguire leave the club, raise a significant fee there, maybe 30 million. Dean Henderson as well he looks set to leave Nottingham Forest that could be another 30 million so that's another 60 million or so that you can invest in the squad because let's face it like another striker is needed if, if it's just Hodgland and Rashford and I mean as I said you can't rely on Martial um, it'd be great to have a senior striker brought in really a prolific goal scorer and then have Hodgland as the backup that would be the ideal scenario I guess um, whether that happens or not <laughs> we'll have to see and I guess as I say it depends on player sales because they do need to raise a bit of money yeah, they certainly do. And that's going to dictate how this window goes between now and the 1st of September. And I think there's also an argument as well, maybe for another backup defensive midfielder. You know, if they lose Casemiro, that midfield looks quite light. And, and Casemiro loves a yellow card and a red card. He does. So, yeah, he's definitely going to be suspended at some point next season. That's just inevitable. And 31 years of age as well, with no guarantees he's going to be able to play every single game. You know, if United progress deep into both domestic cup competitions like they did last season, you know, they've got the Champions League to contend with as well. So, yeah, I think personally another defensive midfielder could be something United look at. There's been talk of Sofian Amrabat. Again, is the budget going to allow them to do that? Time will tell. It's going to be you're going to be a lot relying on player sales and that's somewhere else that United really do need to try and speed up the process with, process with even though, of course, that is an easier said than done task. So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, brings an end to this week's episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. A big thank you to Stephen for joining me. Uh, George, one thing I will say, sorry, I'm interrupting your outro there, George, which is a bit of a disgrace. But what I will say, if United do sign Andrew Nana this week and they don't use uh, Rihanna's song or Nana, what's my name? It will be, it'll be a disgrace, George. It'll be a travesty. So let's hope. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing You're not going to get us singing it before the end of the podcast. But let's hope he's that song. It seems too good to be true, doesn't it? It certainly does. But that would be quite a good uh, good way to announce him, that. So uh, keep your eyes peeled on United's social pages to see if they do get that Onana deal done and see what song maybe comes with it. 
But uh, that does officially mark the end of uh, this episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. As always, if you enjoyed listening to this episode and would like to watch it as well, we are now on YouTube. Just search Manchester is Red and you can subscribe to the channel there. We're also available on TikTok now as well, so make sure you head over there to Man United MEN and drop us a follow. As ever, we'll be back later in the week to discuss the latest United news, possibly reflect on the signing of Andrea Nana, perhaps, and look ahead to the start of the pre-season tour in the US. Have a good week and we'll catch you again very soon.